0: Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Green Book and The Front Runner and I'm happy to be joined by both uh, two prior guests on the show who haven't been on together, Josh Brown and Daniel Lima. Guys, thanks for joining me.
1: What's up? Hey, thank you, Josh. Glad to be here. Yeah, so...
0: Yeah, so we're going to be uh, – first we're going to start with Green Book, which is the new movie from Peter Farrelly of all people, the acclaimed comedy director who now has a movie that, that much to the, ch- the chagrin of my guess is th- in the thick of the Oscar race the it it, it tells uh the quote-unquote true story of don shirley a an african-american jazz musician and classical musician in the early in 1962 as he is about to embark on a tour of the deep south and other parts of the country too but specifically for the because of going to the deep south as a black man in the early 60s he decided he needed the help of a big intimidating bodyguard in comes tony lip the beagle mortensen's character a bouncer, bodyguard, driver, jack-of-all-trades, for Don Shirley as the movie goes on, and he learns that he can cure racism by being nice to him. So, uh, this movie, uh, it's... like, Like I hinted at earlier, it's been... It's 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 our, it got nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes last week, and people expected to do well at the Oscar races. Not doing as well at the box office as a lot of people might have thought, but uh, it has it's kind of inspired a lot of really strong takes from people talking about some of its uh, more problematic aspects, while at the same time still garnering very pretty good reviews. So I'm Josh and Daniel. I both kind of planned on inviting to talk about it before they even saw it, and then they kind of left it with some pretty strong feelings. So I'm gonna go to Daniel first uh daniel why didn't you like this movie
2: because it's humiliating journal because it's humiliating i'm gonna say i was watching this movie i thought about uh an anecdote that malcolm x gave in his autobiography we were talking about watching uh what's her name hattie mcdaniel uh in uh gone with the wind he went on a class trip he was the only black person watching that it was all his white classmates and they were digging the movie they were loving it and he Found himself profoundly embarrassed. I believe he said that he had his head in his hands. He was so embarrassed watching her performance, uh, this black, this caricature of blackness that was in front of him. And uh, that's exactly, exactly what I felt watching uh, Green Book. I found it to be profoundly embarrassing and We're humiliating. Italians. And what? We're Italians, by the way. We're Italians, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned that. No, we are. We are both black. Just I, I want to throw that out there. Um, although, I feel like if I was Italian, I'd be offended by this movie, if I was a woman, yeah, if it I was doesn't, gay.
0: Yeah, it doesn't exactly uh, portray the most nuanced take of a New York Italian family either, but... Uh, are, I would, think would, they got
1: the Armenian-Americans down,
0: though. Fair, fair, <laughs> medium fair enough. Really I, medium, I, though. I can't say I know too many of them myself, but I, if, if, if there's anyone out there listening that wants to voice any objection, be sure to let me know, and I'll uh, make note of it in the podcast notes or something. But when you say you were embarrassed watching it, um, d- does that mean specifically for its treatment of Don Shirley, or are you trying to get at something a little bigger?
2: Well, here's the thing about this movie. I finished it, and the first thing out my head, out my mouth, was like, we're still doing this. So we're still doing this. We are still going to do this thing where we tell stories about the black experience and races in America through the viewpoint of white characters. It's something that, you know, has been occurring in um, in American cinema for like ever since. Like, I think I want to we want to pull back to like the the closest, the the earliest um, movie I can think about that I can compare this to would be um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Stanley Kramer, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, even further than
1: that, like you know, you have "Cabin in the Sky" by like Vincent Minnelli, and if you want to like go even further, like you probably could count "Birth of a Nation," you know.
2: But like, yeah, we have always had these sorts of movies, you know, floating about, and they did. I, I don't fault all movies, you know, you know about with white directors and writers about race. You know, I don't think that they're all universally bad or anything like that. But I do think that there is a large difference between something like Driving This Daisy in the 1980s tackling this topic and a movie made in the year of Black Panther, Sorry to Bother You, Widows, Cree, Cree 2. Like, we're we've got plenty of, you know, Black artists telling Black stories. We have a better understanding... I think in the mainstream American culture, there is uh, a stronger desire to have, you know, the people who these stories are about tell these stories. Yeah. Uh, the context is different. And for.
0: Well, we should also mention that the Peter, Peter Fairley obviously is white and the he, he's one of the writers on the movie, along with a guy named Brian Hayes Curry, who is also right. And the son of the Vigo Mortensen character, Nick Valnega, also white. So all, yeah, not yeah. only is the director white, but all three writers are white.
1: Wait, hold up. Hold up, journal. Hey, say that one more time. Are you telling me that the director of Dumb and Dumber and stalk on you is white is a white dude i I wouldn't have
0: guessed for for any of the uninitiated out there as opposed to the cinephiles i had to i had i had to make that clear because daniel's making this point and it's Mm -hmm. it's not even like they had like a collaboration like you know all the non-spike writers i think on black Klansmen were white but at least spike was there and obviously had a say here they it wasn't even like that it's just a bunch of white dudes
2: yeah um and i think that that clearly shows because this take on race in america i mean it's backwards and it's lacks the nuance necessary to tackle a narrative such as this if this movie was just you know a buddy comedy about like a you know a kind of rich musician being driven around by this kind of gutter trash new yorker like you know i think that could have worked but it's a movie that is explicitly about race and
0: Wait, so you mean it was about race when the heavy score started playing and they got out and watched the sharecroppers? (sighs) Here's the thing. That that was about race? I I wasn't sure. Okay.
2: I actually think that that scene is probably, and I mean this as an insult, it's probably the best in the movie because it's the (laughs) closest thing to, um, you you know, a nuanced take on race in the movie. And they even then have the overblown score playing underneath it. But then you have all these other moments. You have this moment. Which, you know, apparently happened in real life, but it was disgusting for me to watch, Um, where Viggo Mortensen's character sitting up in the front seat is feeding uh, Mahershala Ali's character in the back seat fried chicken. Uh, where he's like, "Oh, you haven't had fried chicken. Here, have this fried chicken." And he's basically shoving it in the dude's face. And the dude's he dude he's like, "Oh, I, I, I could never." And then he starts eating. It, and he's like, "Oh, I really love this." And then he's like, "Here, here, have some more." And he's feeding it to him like a fucking zoo. I'm sorry, I apologize. I didn't know for yeah, allowed to use we, 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 have, we have the
0: we have the explicit tag. So as long as you don't mind people hearing you use the words, you can use it. Wonderful. You want. So yes. you want. so
2: yeah, he's feeding this dude fried chicken as if he's like a zoo animal. Um, it was awful to watch so remember seeing the moment in the trail and thinking oh, i kind of get what they're going for you know it's probably not going to be that bad it was that bad and worse uh there was the moment where the two characters are in jail after vigo more character punches out a cop and uh we're a lot of spoilers here too right
0: yeah it's a true story and uh, whatever
2: <laughs> it's fair enough. i guess so it's both-
0: true i don't know yeah. i'm
2: not worried about it who knows but they're both in jail Uh, after Viggo Mortensen's character, you know, uses violence against a police officer. And then we have Marshal Ali standing over this dude, telling him the only way we are able to win is if we are good and, you know, we don't use violence. Is when you maintain your dignity. When you maintain your dignity. And to me, I see a black character being used as a mouthpiece by white writers telling black people how to approach, how they ought to approach uh discrimination racism and all the evils that the world throws their way it's
0: yeah it's, no and josh i know I'm, i just let daniel going on a long rant I'll, I'll throw to you in a second but since he ended up here that's where i wanted to kind of make my initial point was that because i kind of thought i was going to like I was gonna play the play the role of the guy who like wanted to be a little bit of the devil's advocate for this movie, and I want to say I, I didn't think this was a great movie or anything. It's 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 not even like the top sixty movies I've seen this year or anything like that, you know. I, so I'm not there, but I I had a I mean one of the things I could acknowledge as soon as I left this movie before I'd write in any, any of the criticism was that like it's a movie that designed to make white people feel good. And I was there with six white family members and both of my parents said it was one of the best movies they'd seen in the last five years. And my grandma was on the phone with her yesterday and she said, I'm still thinking about that movie. I'm so glad you took me to see it. And I take my family to a lot of movies and I, I'm just kind of like always worried they're not enjoying it. I'm like looking over, looking at my right, looking kind my left, seeing if they're enjoying it, seeing if they're asleep. And uh, fortunately, I think my parents did fall asleep during widows. Um, and I, I, I was just so happy to have taken them to a movie they enjoyed, and I was laughing with them, and I was like, shoot, should I be laughing at this? I probably shouldn't be laughing at this, and so I was, like, kind of enjoying myself and kind of realizing I don't know if I should be enjoying myself that much, but if nothing else, like, I was able to acknowledge, like, yes, it's there to make white people feel good, they wanted to tell a safe story, but I thought their priorities were, like, in the right place, and you mentioned the, in like, I, I, I for sure thought the fried chicken thing was offensive, but then... I, I, I wanted – because you mentioned this to me after you read my review on Letterboxd, and it was – they're at the they're at the jail, and my thing was like, well, yeah, but that's what that character would want to do anyway. And I wasn't remembering that line, so I went back and read some other stories, and I'm like, yeah, I mean I can see how they are uh, just kind of going to town and uh, t- holding a torch for respectability politics, and that wouldn't be so great. But at the same time, I thought that's what that character would want to do. He would not want to be in jail any longer than he would have to. He would want to keep his head down. He's trying to get through this tour. It would make sense that he would be really upset that he punched the cop and let let things get to that point, but then I but then I actually read that that was one of the lines and I just forgot that you only win when you maintain your dignity, and that just feels like it's the writers talking to us and telling us that that's the way to do it, whereas like and thus thus implying that like what everyone all those folks did a few a few years later in the civil rights movement wasn't the right way to go about it because they weren't as docile as they should have been, and that doesn't really sit right with me after I read. I, I, I read more about it and that, and saw that <laughs> saw that line again. But uh, I mean, Josh, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I feel like we've now just talked the first ten minutes and you haven't gotten to say much.
1: Well, I don't know about you guys, but I was personally inspired by this story of a true friendship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like see i had a like a much you know you were saying like you worry about like when you see a movie with your family and they're not liking it or whatever yeah that was kind of like my experience watching the movie sitting next to daniel because he was like like i was like it was one of the most tensest experiences watching a movie because he was about to like choke like peter farrelly like 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 if he could like (coughs) or the white people in the audience that were enjoying the movie so, like, the whole movie, like, Daniel was, like, I, I saw him. He was just, like, he was gesturing, like, I want to choke this fucking movie, like, if he could. Like, <laughs> so, I'm just, like, trying to, like, you know, wait till the end credits. <coughs> Don't get me wrong. I wasn't enjoying the movie either. Um, But, like, Daniel, he was just, like, like, I was just waiting for the end credits to, like, uh, roll, and and then that's when I, we would just talk about the movie or whatever. But no, he was just like cursing at it. And like the white people in the theater are kind of like looking at us or whatever while he's calling it. Like they just, you know, they could have, they just saw like their favorite best picture. What I was getting at though, like, um, Daniel was not enjoying the movie. And I was just stressed out about like, uh, uh is Daniel gonna like light this theater on fire? Um, <laughs> but, but that's. <laughs> but that is me personally like the racial politics of this film is very regressive and retrograde and I kind of knew that going in it sort of met my expectations based off based off of what I've seen of the marketing material for the movie but to me like the schmaltz is probably what I found more offensive cuz like like the score just like sans subtlety like it comes in every time we're learning a moment right here, you know, mm-hmm. where it's the sharecropper scene um, and just like, just very obvious filmmaking, like the opening of the movie where uh, two black guys work in um, the house. And then there's a shot, like, you know, the wife gives uh, them a drink, a glass of water or something. And then like Viggo Morrison, um, uh, like, you know, sees it and then he throws the glass into the trash can and then like cut to you you know like the wife seeing it it's just very like obvious filmmaking and then not well, only that uh, well on like,
0: top on top of the way that scene is shot i think that gets it maybe one of the other issues is that it probably lets uh, white northerners feel a little bit better about themselves and yeah and, they're... And, and, and then and then because that, that lets them think that that's the only kind of racism that exists up here and then we'll see the real stuff when we get to the south and it's only really blatant stuff like that like i mean that that's the only kind that exists up that, that's really the only kind that or more that they might normally think that that's the only that kind of stuff that happens in the south but it's like if it's not that blatant then it doesn't exist and that's the only stuff that's the only time they encounter anything in the north
2: but you know. so yeah that's a good that's a that's a good point. The thing is, this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants you to look at how bad racism is. Look at all these, they won't even let him eat in their restaurant and this and that. But it also wants you to look at how vigo Mortison approaches race and kind of, it wants you to believe this man is a charming man. You know, he's a charming man. He, you know, he might call these people eggplants and such, but that's that's it's it's fine you know he's he's lovable he's a good guy at heart or or
0: or, or, or we're meant to believe that he he only has to learn not to be so racist and not throw cups away that a black person is drunk drinking out of and that's like the only bar he has to cross like other than that like he he he, he's really he's really more with it than everyone else and that that, toward the end
1: that's in the movie he's blacker than dr shirley
0: yes there's a
2: scene where they are talking and he says i am blacker than you because you don't even you're not even in touch with your people and this and that and this is the problem with this movie there is among many that is an actor that that approaches something of an interesting take on race because you know the fact is that there are uh you know there is a thing where like black people might not feel like they you know achieve a certain measure of you know blackness whatever you might (laughs) define that as uh and, you know, there are movies, though, that exist that have uptake, approached that. Uh, like, Dope is the first thing that comes to mind for me. 2014 movie by, um, what's his name?
1: Rick uh, Fumiara.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, but the problem with this movie, though, is, you know, because of this man's lack of perspective, experience, and, you know, let's be honest, talent, uh, he's unable to really make those points in a, in a way that isn't ain't repulsive,
1: I'm gonna play devil's advocate on that scene though for a second, because um, at the end, like you know, so when Vigo Morgan is giving this monologue about how he's actually blacker than Mahershala Ali because he's not an elitist, whereas uh, Mahershala Ali is because he doesn't listen to the contemporary black music at the time or or eat fried chicken. Um, well this is going to be really hard for me to be a devil's advocate here. But but that that said, um, at the end of the scene, like Shah Ali makes the case to uh, Viggo Mortensen says, like, you know, he gets out of the car and then tells him, how can you say that to me when like, you know, yeah, I go to these elite events, but I'm, there to make these uh, white people feel cultured and stuff, and but after the event is over, I don't even like belong there. Like they won't even let me use their restroom and stuff like that. And so I think maybe the movie's a little bit self-aware of like the uh, critique of uh, of Viggo Mortensen's point there. Like I'm like at the end of the day, like it's something ignorant that Vigo Mortensen's character says, and the movie acknowledges it.
2: Um, the movie also, however, acknowledges – I believe that the movie also somewhat makes the point that, you know, what the, uh, uh, Mahershala Ali's character genuinely is too out of touch with the black experience.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of one of my problems with the movie is just, like, how the movie is portrayed – like, you know, if you're just watching this movie, like – Maharshan Ali is playing this uppity black dude and Viggo Mortensen is this fun loving down to earth dude or whatever. And he's our audience viewpoint, you know, like the whole time, like, you know, like Maharshan Ali is, you know, like rude to Viggo Mortensen, like throughout the entire film. And he's kind of a buzzkill. And like that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, because it's just sort of like, you know, it's this sort of fear of like a black elite that we see like mm,
2: exactly exactly but i, I probably- remember looking at this movie and th- seeing you know they were introduced with maher Ali dressed in this you know oh, garish african this. garb <laughs> sitting in this golden throne apparently he really and- did live above carnegie hall though
0: which is kind of insane but yes I well see that's what pretty
2: is. cool honestly and that's what yeah. i was getting at like the the fact is i when he sits above like there's a there's a moment where like you know he's giving the Viggo mortison's character the interview and vigo mortison is seated on a regular chair uh Marshal Ali is seated on a throne above Mm -hmm. him and uh, looking down upon him. And I think the implication that the movie is trying to give us is this man thinks so highly of himself. He's so above it all, blah, blah, blah. It's negative. And me looking at that said, man, this dude is a doctor. He's got a nice office. He's a black man in the 60s and he's got all this. Like, I saw that, and I saw, you know, a powerful black man, and I actually enjoyed that image. Well, do you but think I they like, think the examine... movie does? Well, sorry, go ahead. I don't think the movie does like that image. I think the, what the movie wants is to see uh, Mahershala Ali, you know, come to uh, Viggo Mortensen's house, sit with his nice Italian family who were calling him an eggplant five minutes ago, and, you know, find some gleam, some happiness there. And I I find that
0: yeah repulsively out of touch. Well, yeah, and I, I so I read this uh, story on about the or this piece about it on Vanity Fair from their film critic Kay Austin Collins and. He said that like a lot of the stuff where Dr. Shirley's not one to talk his fa- about his family might have been more like as opposed to him being actually isolated from them, it might have been more like the result of just him maintaining a boundary between himself and an employee. And then where, here's what the article says: It said um, maybe class dictated that boundary, and rather than reckoning with it or subjugating himself to it, rather than confronting the ability of a black man to have such power in the first place, Tony Lip uh, thought up an alternative explanation. And they're talking about Tony as he is like telling bedtime stories to his son who wrote the movie and then it says maybe this maybe that there are many gaps here and you can see why the co- the writers felt they had to fill them in inevitably the material they chose to do so resulted in a less prickly and less interesting movie i would love to see a version of green book that confronted dr shirley's class privilege head-on and I I, I I at that point resonated with me that would have been a more interesting avenue for the movie to spend some time on as opposed to some of the silly anecdotes that we do get yeah. and, uh, it's a,
1: it, oh sorry um and to be honest though um like I think this movie, because like here's the thing, it has two tracks. It has this driving Miss Daisy, you know, racial narrative of like a white guy learns the horrors of racism and learns how not to be racist, and then the other track of it, and it ends in the exact same way as something like. Uh, you know, it's a buddy road movie in the same vein as planes, trains, and automobiles and has the exact same ending as planes, trains, and automobiles. And, you know, if you look at Bobby, I mean, Peter Farrelly's uh, career, he's made mostly road movies. There's something about Mary, Dumb and Dumber. And I, like, I would find it a much interesting film if you had, and I think it would avoid a lot of the problems when it comes to its retrograde politics, if it had just focused on, like, the buddy, because they do have good chemistry together, Mahershala Ali and Vigo Mortison, and they're charismatic actors. If you just made a buddy comedy, and then I think it would have been even more subversive if that Far had showed up, instead of making this like prestige bait, you have like a scene where Vigo Mortensen farts in like uh, uh, Maharshal Ali's face. Like, I think that is the better movie and the less offensive one.
2: I agree that it somehow manages to be, that version of this movie would be (laughs) less offensive, which tells you, uh, you know, how awful this one was. Um, I also, yeah, I do agree insofar as if you're unable to approach this material with nuance, don't. Don't approach this material. But the movie does take it upon itself to do this. It is the movie, this movie has a scene in it where Maharshala Ali's character ends up arrested for, you know, sexual intercourse with a man. It's a scene that lasts, you know, two minutes, and then it's never brought up again, um, only to have—it's brought up once, only for Viggo Mortensen to just say, eh, world's complicated. And it's clear that this movie pats itself on the back, pats Viggo Mortensen's character on the back, for being so progressive in just ignoring that fit, that part of him, that part of uh, Mahershala Ali's character. Uh that's the kind of approach that a you know, a straight white filmmaker is going to take when confronted with material that he, you know, doesn't feel comfortable addressing. It's the, the watching that scene, I gotta admit, I felt, man, I really didn't give Moonlight enough credit.
0: For for those of you that do not know, Daniel was not a big fan of Moonlight, the best picture winner from two thousand sixteen. But also I've watched enough of the Sopranos to realize that uh Italians aren't gonna take that in stride. <laughs> especially back in those times. Uh, but Mm. It it, it did want you to be very proud of him for taking that in stride, which, and wanted us to believe he would do that, despite the fact that like a week before he wouldn't drink out of the glass that a black man drank out of.
2: Mm. It rubbed me. Yeah, that scene, it it didn't seem in character for the character. And I could see a smug uh, Peter Farley and the son of this guy writing this scene, clapping themselves on the back.
1: And by the way, what what does anybody read any interview with like compelled Peter Farrelly to make this movie other than he wants to win an Oscar? Because at first when it, like I first saw the trailer uh, for the movie, and I was like, oh, I think like uh, Peter Farrelly is doing like some type of performance art thing. It's like, hey, I'll make you one of those types of movies. And people are gonna fall for it, <laughs> and, and 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 they have. Um, and I'm also wondering because, like, you know, I was looking through the film, like the credits on this film, and it's like none of like um, Peter's like normal collaborate collaborators had a hand in this movie, including his brother. And so I wonder what made his brother say
2: no. I think the script. I want to say the script. Maybe, maybe he went. Oh man. This is too smart for me. Or maybe he went, this is too dumb for me. And I honestly think that he's probably right both ways.
0: I I mean, I guess it's interesting to put it that way because, I mean, while he has made some real stinkers, I mean, some of his other comedies, early comedies are pretty well regarded. It's not like this is a guy that's only ever made like complete duds.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of There's Something About Mary. I think it should have probably gotten him, like, a Best Screenplay nom at the time. Um, um, And, you know, I think, hell, I would be down for There's Something About Mary Best Picture nomination if this was, like, circa 1997 or 98, whenever this came out.
2: Um, And I'm a fan of Osmosis Jones, honestly. Like, (laughs) I love Osmosis Jones. I think that it's fantastic. But if you ask me, hey, you know the guy who wrote that joke... uh, What's a the heck is a uvula? It's that dangling thing in Frank's boxer shorts. I've got it. <laughs> if you told me the man the man who wrote that joke wanted to make a movie about race in America in the 1960s, I'd have said no. I don't want to see that movie. Why would they want to make that movie? Who would want to see that movie? Who would want to enjoy that movie? Uh, and it turns out people do. People do want to see that movie.
1: Daniel's kind of like the white Southerners in this movie because he's telling uh, P- Peter Farrelly to stay in his lane.
2: <laughs> stay, yeah, stay in your lane, bro. Keep making fart movies, Dick Jones, because it's genuinely, you do okay doing those. I like Osmosis Jones. What about and Hall Pass? That's pa- a movie that, say again?
1: What about Hall Pass?
2: I actually never saw Hall Pass or movie 43.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like you guys have uh, kind of, contextualize some of the issues with it pretty well and i'm glad i asked you to do that i mean i i don't know and I, i'm trying to still kind of reckon with the fact that i did enjoy myself so much with it while i can while i can acknowledge all of these different issues but it sounds like you don't disagree that they're still rather good performances just in service of like a not so great execute not so greatly executed idea Was is, is that fair to say because i did enjoy watching these guys if nothing else even in the moments where things weren't offensive is if that if that's okay i don't know yeah.
1: If Vigo gets nominated for best actor, I feel like that's kind of unfair because like um like it's such a hammy, cartoonish like performance in a year where like I could list you like, you know, Ethan Hawke in First Reformed or John David Washington in Black Klansman or, you know, Robert Redford in Old Man and the Gun, you know, I could list you like several different actors uh, um that probably won't make the cut and at the expense of Vigo Mortensen. And, like, it's it sort of, like, I felt like there's the, the, this, these roles were beneath both Vigo and Mahershala Ali because I think they're both very interesting actors and probably two of the best of their generation. Um, So, but, I mean, like, they're, I think they're fine in it, but, like, you know, if we talk about, like, I mean, like, my thing is like we could have just watched a different movie starring them two, and I would have been better off.
0: Well, Yeah, I don't think anyone's uh, arguing to the contrary. I was just trying like I said, I'm just trying to kind of like work through my experience with this movie, and oh, um, yeah,
2: yeah, I got you. I didn't like I'm sorry continue.
0: No, I mean like I, I, I can't help it. Like I I I'm gonna laugh at him eating a whole pizza in one like in, in in one bite like a taco, or him just like saying a curse word at an inappropriate time. And uh, maybe that's just cause I have a a low bar for getting laughs of me when people are being crude in inappropriate situations. But like I Dumb and mean,
1: Double Q was part of your best films of the decade
0: uh no it was not but uh <laughs> uh but yeah i mean like i i don't know I, I, like i said I, I i couldn't i couldn't put off doing this podcast forever and i and i and i, f- I figured you guys could kind of help me kind of understand the movie better and i think you have but i'm still trying to i'm trying to decide like what parts of the movie i still like feel okay about enjoying you know um, oh, oh
2: um well i'm gonna be the bad the one to break the bad news to you no part. You feel bad <laughs> about enjoying any part of this movie. Truthfully, even like Viggo Mortensen, I, I, yeah, I, I got to agree. Even the performances, I wasn't a huge fan of because they're so broad, you know, uh, what's it called, caricatures of human beings that I can't really get into it. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Mahershala Ali is just like the cool, distant, uppity black dude. And, you know, I, he's trying, but he can't get over with the material. Neither can Vigo. Vigo has a worse time of it. He is. I mean, I, every line he said could have been meatball, spaghetti, pepperoni, and it would have had the same effect.
0: Yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess. I guess this is like I. had I, I like I said. I just have a lower bar for some of the comedy because like some of these in between moments that really are uh, separate from whatever the movie's trying to do about race. Like, uh, I like I laughed at like all the letter writing stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I did. I can't help it. I just like I thought it was funny. And I, I guess. Remote. Sorry. And you're a romantic. I I guess so. And I, I, it was just funny watching, like, again, it's fairly basic, but it's just funny to me watching the big dumb Italian struggle with something like that and then all of a sudden get really into it. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, so I guess I, even if I can recognize the problematic nature of like other parts of this, like, I can still, like, Uh, and who knows maybe maybe i would be like too preoccupied thinking about that if i watched that movie again to enjoy these other in-between parts but i guess i just laughed at like it's stuff that was there purely for laughs and nothing beyond that and that's mainly the biggest difference i have with you guys on this but also there's probably some like inherent like uh whiteness of me that's just like preventing me from like being as instinctively outraged at it as you guys and i can acknowledge that also
2: i think that that's a fair take but also i hate all of your family members i just wanted to point that out Every right. single one of them.
0: Okay, um, I'll uh, I'll 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 make sure that they uh, don't see this episode of the podcast then. To, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like we've actually like fairly well covered. I mean, most of it in the context of like everything we just discussed. But I mean, uh, were there any other thoughts you guys had just about the about there whether it be this any of the any of the specific scenes or this the, the trips through the south it's depiction of the south versus the north because i mean that was what i hinted at a little bit earlier where i thought that like yeah i mean they're probably like letting the north off a bit easier but i mean it is true like the move the name of the movie is green book so they are going to have to deal with some of these issues of um of this of the specific type of segregation in the south um and i don't know like i mean there's like uh, like, like some, like some people thought, like when 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 they had the performance at the house, and he was, uh, and uh, Don made uh made him drive all the way back to the hotel so he could use the bathroom as opposed to like going in the outhouse. Some people didn't like the way that was portrayed because like it became a scene. It, it became more a scene about uh about Tony just like kind of bitching about it, you know, and him having to complain about the inconvenience to him. And I mean, how do you guys think they pulled off those instances of him actually encountering racism in the South? It, just to begin with. I mean, the South was racist at the time. That part is true. I don't, you know, uh,
2: I, I, the scene, that scene where he's like, you know, driving back, driving all the way back and bitching about it. I think that the issue with that scene, isn't necessarily like how it portrays racism in the South. I think the issue with that scene is the fact that it portrays racism in the South through the lens of a white man, just kind of wrapping his head around it. It goes back to just the, you know, overall, the, the big question about this movie, which is, why are we doing this in 2018? Because mm-hmm. uh, like, Peter Farley wants an Oscar. Because Peter Farley wants a damn Oscar. And he might actually get one, and just, I will riot.
1: I'm already dreading, like, when the nominations are announced and, like, he gets a nomination over Spike. <laughs>
2: like... Oh, man.
0: <sighs> I, I, I mean, uh, like, it's just, yeah, I mean, just, I mean it's, it would already be bad enough if he didn't already have the whole uh him not he because he didn't even get a director nomination for do the right thing right you know yeah no
2: and i'm telling you if he does not get a nomination for best director and peter farley does ooh, i'm throwing trash can through pizza window windows that day man i'm throwing <laughs>
1: <sighs> Dude, I do i want to see a panel where it's him boots riley and spike lee on the same panel like when they do those dga or the hollywood Ryan table stuff
2: you think you
0: They're think in- you think boots and spike would make up
2: No, it would be be a Mexican standoff. It's going to be like the (laughs) end of Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and we know who the Ugly is. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, well, fair fair enough. Yeah, I I, I was just kind of curious, trying to think of just any any other instances and um, odds and ends about the movie. Um, I don't know. What did you think of of him calling out uh, Tony for uh, stealing the stone and then um, not... It was if, if I thought they were going to kind of like actually like make it a big point later on. Instead, he just kind of like jokingly calls him out on it. Do you think that was the movie trying to do uh, bite off more than it can chew and make some kind of statement and then not really do it, or it was did you not even think that? No, I didn't think it? it
2: was. I think that was just you know supposed to be a funny little moment, and that's the kind of moment that honestly would have probably, if the movie was just composed of that, I would just think that this is a you know a lazy buddy comedy, you know, rather than an atrocious work of art that sets race relations back. 30 40 years um here's the thing like i said like the thing the thing is even if it was just that uh, this movie isn't particularly well made uh toward the end there's a scene where uh ali you know performs at a black bar he performs with a black ensemble for the first time in the movie and he you know plays some blues music and uh it's fun and energetic and this you know we're supposed to get this sense of joy watching everybody enjoy his music in a way that nobody had previously and um it's inert like he just it's just you know they cut to several portions of the room they cut to vigo mortison clapping along to the music and that's it the camera doesn't move around at all it doesn't have any energy to it uh and it's you know that sort of lazy filmmaking that you know Doomed the movie before they even got to the record.
0: Yeah, even if you accept that yeah. it's going to get a like a best picture nomination or best actor nomination or something like that, it's or hell even screenplay as offensive as that would be, like it's it's things like that where it's like the, the filmmaking is just like not as dynamic as like so many other things that we've seen this year. You know what I mean? It's like to to think that like he 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 would be the one that like get a this would be the thing that gets a director nomination like over something like Black Klansman is it, it, I mean it, it is it's, it is a tough pill to swallow for sure. Um, and,
1: and here's the thing. There's also, with this film, I think, like, okay, so when it comes to, like, the cinematography of the film, like, there's this trend where, like, if you watch movies about, like, the 70s, like, Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever, they have, like, these yellow color schemes, like, during it, like, this yellow, almost, like, cigarette smoke-tinted uh, color scheme. And in this film, it looks like Peter Farley, like, saw Shape of Water, and he's like, yo, Green is how we shoot the sixties now. Um and so it has like the screen tint throughout out, throughout the entire film. And like I think like the cinematographer is trying, but like whenever the cinematographer is like, Hey, let's do something with the camera right here, Peter Fur is like, no, let's just let's just let's just set it
2: right there. Let's just let it let's just linger. Yeah. I don't disagree I don't disagree, but also to be somewhat fair, the title is Green Book. Uh, But also, but also, um, you know, now that we bring up the title, they don't really make much about the green book, do they? Yeah, there's one shot of like the book. There's one shot of the book. He stays at a couple, you know, colored only, you know, hotels, but they don't they don't make much of that. They don't. There's like a scene where like people are playing like a game and they invite Maharshala Ali along. He's like, oh, no. And then he leaves. But they don't make much about the divide between, you know... Well,
0: that's probably for the best if, if, if the movie had, like, done everything else well because, like, that's probably the easiest thing for audiences to get. Like, yeah, we know that, like, there are places that were for blacks only or for whites only in the south of the 60s. Like, it maybe didn't need to dwell too much on it unless, like you said, where he's kind of holding himself out from the rest of the black community. Like, if they had handled that the right way, then, like, maybe, yeah, that becomes a lot more interesting. But they, like you said, they just kind of... Skim over it in a couple scenes, and then it's about it,
2: you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as it stands, it's probably best that it didn't overextend themselves like
0: that yeah last question before i we move to the front runner uh guys like i i think i talked to daniel about it a little bit before when i was talking about doing this movie it might have been before you saw it but i was kind of interested to talk to you about it in terms of uh you guys being like big fans last year three billboards outside of ebbing missouri and i think before you'd even made the point about green book you had said that well yeah like you would say that like three billboards isn't about race because i kind of drawn a comparison there you you know you might have qualms with how it addresses race which i thought was actually a much better way to put it because this movie is obviously much more directly about race than something like Three Billboards, and I don't want to get in the weeds on debating like the plot points of both of those movies because, like, then we'd be here for two hours. But like, one thing that did happen was, was that Three Billboards got really got picked apart for some of those um, issues about how it handled race. And do you guys see like this anything like that happening to this movie in the next two months that does slow down like its Oscar chances, or do you think it's going to be a little more critic-proof than that? Ooh, God willing. <laughs>
1: I think, like, ultimately, because I think, like, Three Billboards wasn't nearly as offensive as this film, as, like, people, like, said it was, and I think it's a better made movie. I think most people could, even if you hated Three Billboards, I think you could say that a better made movie has more going for it. It's not relying on this rope, like, plot, and and, like, that film, ultimately, it's like the Academy said, all right, we can't, we can award it for the acting categories, but, like, it didn't even nominate nominated for director, and I think it's a better directed film than the Green Book, and it didn't it ultimately didn't win Best Picture. So I don't necessarily th- I, and maybe I'm giving the Academy too much credit. But I do think like, like they ultimately don't go for Green Book. I think, you know, they have a Star is born and Roma right in front of them that like better represent, like, their ideals and, like, has, I think, broader support amongst the academy. And I think there's a sort of, like, the there's always, like, a middle America, like, blindside, like, pick in the nominees. And I think that sort of fills that slot. And it ultimately doesn't really get rewarded other than just being nominated in a bunch of categories. And, you know, ends up being, like, a slow burn crowd pleaser that makes a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Uh you have any other th- you have any thoughts on that, Daniel, or do you echo Josh's sentiments? I echo Josh's sentiments. The thing is uh
2: Three Billboards was a movie not explicitly about race. I do have qualms with how it treats the black characters in that movie, but they they weren't thrown oh, yeah. front and center, uh versus Green Book, which is an attempt to address race in America through a uniquely further white perspective, uh and the idea that the academy will go for this sort of thing again boggles my mind i don't really see it that's the thing what i'm saying is
0: that like three billboards was kind of the favorite for a lot of oscar season i guess this isn't starting out that way like people do probably think a star is born in roma would be more ahead of it in that respect but like like i said maybe three billboards getting picked apart like it did might have hurt mcdonough's chances at getting an oscar nomination so that's why i was kind of curious to talk about it in this context so this
1: movie's already getting picked apart. There's already think pieces, yeah. and then I think by the time if it like gets the Golden Globes and like it has like the victories that three billboards had, then the think pieces will get even louder because there's much more to complain about. Oh.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we I think we pretty well covered it. So um, again, this movie is going to hang around for a while, even though it still hasn't made back its money. You know, it's been out for three weeks. And it's, it says, at least according to Wikipedia, which you know is correct, uh, has a twenty three million dollar budget. and has only made twenty million. But I feel like uh, the Golden Globes nominations I think helped it actually not tr- have a decent weekend last weekend at the box office, and it'll hang around. I think it's going to be one people are going to bring their families to, just as I did. So uh, if you have any thoughts on uh, what we said, and want to yell at us for. Shitting on a movie that you really loved, uh, let us know. But uh, now we're going to move on to the front runner, uh, which is the newest movie from Jason Reitman, the acclaimed director from of *Up in the Air*. Thank you for smoking *Juno* and familiar this year, *Toy*. Totally, amongst some other movies that are nowhere near as good as those movies, uh, it tells the story of the 1998 or excuse me, 1988 uh, Democratic presidential not a, not the nominee but a candidate early on, Gary Hart and his sudden demise as uh his uh likely infidelities became uh front page news and I, I, this movie's actually come and gone rather quickly guys i mean i i was excited to talk to you about it because i thought you guys had different takes on it than i did but i definitely had a lot of thoughts as well and in some ways it is uh rather timely in other ways it's not because i actually uh, listened to an interview with jason reitman where he's like yeah people just don't really feel like watching a movie about politics now and we conceived of this movie like even before the 2016 election I, I i mean so i mean the movie definitely like in some ways like has some stuff to say about the press and i and just the way we cover events and what americans care about in their politicians but at the same time i thought in some ways that i don't know ended up feeling kind of dated and i'll talk about that but uh i'll start with you josh since i started with daniel for the first movie i think you liked this movie a little bit more than me and uh what was like your big takeaway from the front runner and uh how you think it fits in with reitman's, reitman's filmography
1: See, like, first off, I should mention that, like, one of my sort of, like, guilty pleasures is, like, political procedurals. Like, anything, like, political movies, they don't generally have long shelf lives. Like, you can't really name that many good political, like, movies, but I tend to, like, like a lot of them. Like, um, and so, like, you know, something like Primary Colors and, you know, The Candidate and, uh, are stuff that I, I like a lot. But, um... And so, like, when it comes to this movie, I was, like, in the bag for it uh, going in. And I actually have a generally favorable, like, uh, 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 opinion of Jason Ryman's filmography than most people. Like, I, I generally really love his first four movies, and I thought totally was a great comeback. Um, and I think – and it, he – I know that he drew a lot from – Uh, the candidate the robert redford film from the 70s and the director of that michael ritchie is sort of like this obscure like 70s director compared to like the other people of that era like altman spielberg scorsese and stuff like that and michael ritchie he would do these like social satires like downhill racer and smile and like he had like one like big and bad news bears um and he was this sort of acerbic you know satirical director and they kind of like flown under the radar and now being appreciated by cinephiles now such as jason reitman and i kind of figured that like that's sort of jason reitman's career right now at the moment that when we talk about this era of directors he might you know uh get lost in a shuffle for a couple of years and then people will come back to movies like young adult and thank you for smoking and this right, one i forgot to
0: mention young adult when i was going through his list so yeah he's made like f- five other good ones before this
1: yeah and i think like that one's actually probably arguably his best now in retrospect but um uh but yeah like i think like this movie and that movie will you know uh be remembered more fondly uh i think like the takedowns of this film i thought were kind of unfair because i think a lot of people view this movie in the lens of like me too and thought like all right like the film was a little bit too sympathetic to gary hart and i didn't see that at all and i also just thought it was just a very well crafted uh political procedural like um you know i thought like I was thinking of like the Robert Altman mini series that was that came out the same year as the election in this film, uh, which was called Tanner Eighty Eight. And it was like a radical, like, mockumentary series because it had this fictional character plucked into this real world election where he would interact with characters such as Gary Hart. Like the real Gary Hart would make an appearance in it. Huh. And this movie like draws a lot from like that as an influence and i think it does a better job um of doing that and it reminded me sort of like i was kind of thinking like like last year like a movie with like a heavy ensemble that had that had like a political message and was a procedural it was like the post and i thought like you know this is kind of what i think the post was aiming for and i think this film does it better
0: daniel i know you really like this movie too so what what connected with you about it I think that this is probably one of the most
2: intellectually dense movies of the year. Hmm. Of course, one of the movies that I would also give that title to is uh, Ready Player One, which some people might disagree with, and they're wrong. So (laughs) the thing is with this movie, um, it, I think, is covering a whole lot of ground. Uh, It is a movie about our relationship to the press and how the press covers and treats politicians. It is about how... The expectations that we hold politicians to, and whether they're fair, it's about privacy that's uh, about how we de- treat deal with privacy in the age of you know mass media. It's about how you know it's about how we expect politicians and how we as society value and treat woman, women women. Uh, I think that it addresses a whole lot of social issues and does so. With a fairly, you know, nuanced and uh, uh, objective take that doesn't fully come down onto the side of any one argument, which I think it's fair to say might rub people the wrong way, and I think that that's fair. But also, I think it's more interesting than if it, you know, came down hard on one side or right. the other.
0: And I think that was actually pretty intentional. I I, I was listening to the interview that Reitman did with uh, Bill Simmons, and. He was basically saying, like, yeah, I, di- I didn't want to take a side. You know, I wanted to leave that a little more open-ended for the audience to decide, like, is this something we should care about? Is there some kind of line where it really shouldn't matter what the politicians are doing in their private life? And, uh, and, and and yeah, so I, I guess that was also why he left a lot of what actually happened between Gary Hart and Donna Rice open to interpretation. Because I kind of thought that, like, well, this is kind of weird that they really – Aren't, aren't showing anything right there because I don't really feel like it, well, actually I, I, I'll be back up for a second because I didn't even mention that Hugh Jackman is, plays our main character Gary Hart and one of my things is that like, I didn't know if it really captured like the rise and fall of what I thought it was going to be like with this guy and maybe that's my fault for like presupposing what this guy was going to be like it's just when everyone like heard about the casting of this movie they're like Hugh Jackman's playing a politician that can't keep it in his pants and I think we all got excited for what that would look like on the screen and he was very subdued. And I don't really know how to blame Hugh Jackman for that because we know he's super charismatic and can do a lot more. But I just kind of thought he was going to be like riding high and then all of a sudden like fall. But it seemed like he was almost already worn down at the beginning of the movie. And I guess that is more on me for my expectations and the execution in the movie. But that was just kind of like, wow, it doesn't feel like as big of a downfall as I really thought it should have been.
2: Mm, I didn't mean to throw in stones here. I do think that your expectation for it, the movie might have, you know, ruined that part of it for you because I actually did rather like its portrayal of you know uh, what's I already forgot the guy's name Gary Hart Hart. Um, I did actually like the uh, portrayal of Gary Hart by uh, Hugh Jackman I think that it's a subdued performance yes but I think that that fits the character I don't know much about Gary Hart the individual I don't know how much of this is you know lifted from fact or not however my the characterization of the Gary Hart in this movie is that he is a competent likable personality, you know, who will throw aside a clever witticism or whatever, but you don't really get a sense of who he is because he wants to keep uh, the public and the press at arm's length. Hmm. I think that the moments where a little bit of, you know, who he really is do shine through are, you know, those moments where people start prying into his business and he flips out. Um, I think that it's funny because this is a movie that I assume was made early last year. So
0: the imagery of watching a politician yell and flip out. It began in September 2017, filming.
2: Okay, yeah. So um, it's kind of funny how weirdly prescient this movie was in that, you know, there's a very prominent politician up for a very powerful position who is being asked questions about things that he did in his personal life. And who completely flips out about it in a way that makes you question his suitability for that position. Sound familiar, people? Well, right, Sound well, familiar? Well, my
0: thing is at the same time, that was one of my things with this movie. It's like, well, it's kind of saying that like this was a big turning point where people started caring about this kind of stuff. <sighs> but like, yes, Donald Trump gets upset when that stuff happens. But he also got elected president in spite of all this shit we know about him from before he was ever I wasn't actually position.
2: referring to Donald Trump there. I was referring to the um, – um, what's his name? That Supreme right. Court nominee. Oh, Kavanaugh, duh,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: so I was referring to Kavanaugh. That's actually
1: the interesting, like, in political circles, like, the Gary Hart story is always seen as, like, the stepping stone for Bill Clinton because Gary – like, Bill Clinton learned from the mistakes, so – of uh, gary hart like so in 1988 at the democratic nomination where like the world was first like introduced to bill clinton because that's when he gave this terrible this like famously terrible convention speech and that like he had to go on the next day on the johnny carson show and he had showed a sense of humor so he recovered from it but like at the same time during that time period bill clinton as governor of arkansas was known for having these Affairs and sexual misconduct and all these things, and what he learned from the Gary Hart was and when he ran in ninety two was the fact that like Gary Hart was this guy who wasn't open about it, he wasn't out in front of it, he didn't want to discuss it, where like Bill Clinton took from Gary Hart like, oh, okay, I have to talk about this, I have to put it a put it away, or they're just gonna keep digging and digging and digging um and also like. The difference is, is that like I guess there's also with Gary Hart, is that in the movie he's presented as this enigma, and whereas like I think with like Bill Clinton, there's like a strong, charismatic person that you can grapple to. Like there's a personality there, and I think with this movie, like as it presents him as an enigma, I think it's purposeful so that way we can see the other uh, viewpoints of the film and how they perceive gary hart
0: one of the things i think the film gets at pretty well too is that like gary hart like he obviously didn't get to be president and uh wasn't really a a senator again after 1987 but he i think things went better for him and it movie subtly acknowledges that's probably going to be the case like he was at, he was in the he was out of the public sphere for a while but he actually which i didn't realize till i like went back and was looking stuff up like obama actually like appointed him to a couple of different things like he was like vice chair of the homeland security advisory council from like 09 to 11 and was uh united states special envoy to northern ireland from like 2014 and up until uh trump took office so he got to, got to do some stuff and I don't know, and that's why I actually appreciated the movie's portrayal of Donna Rice. Like, I think it acknowledged that, like, it was going to disproportionately probably affect her worse, and I thought that was a pretty smart thing that the movie did.
1: And I like that they go out of their way to, like, present Donna Rice as this, like, person who's actually, like, a smart, you know, like, you know, like, she was, like, a valedictorian or something at her college, and they present her as, like, okay, like, there's a, a conversation between – gary hart's uh, campaign aide who's also a woman and don rice and they're talking just as women and and it's clear that like there's this guilt over Donna rice because the campaign aide who's this um woman in this like pretty uh high covet highly coveted uh position she realizes that after this election like gary hart will probably fly, uh land on his feet uh whether or not he becomes president or not but donna rice is this uh, as this lady she's always going to be a, a tarnish, her name is Tarnish she was going to be slut shamed and uh, she'll never find like a good enough job for what her talents probably were.
2: Yeah like there's a scene toward the end, I think it's the last scene, it's the scene right after he gives that press conference that ends his presidential run uh, and uh, Gary Hart looks over at that female aide and asks like if, so Donna Rice is she is she Is she okay and the aide replies with like a it's disgusted, i don't know what you want me to say to that uh i think that it's a movie that does clearly recognize the you know privileges that uh gary hart has afforded that the you know the other side of this equation doesn't receive
0: one of the other Uh, things that the movie grapples with though is how much privilege he should be afforded by the press uh how do you think the movie actually handled that because i that as a former journalist myself i I actually found that pretty one of the, the best most interesting part of the movie
1: um I know, like, yeah, I like the press intrigue into it as well because this is a time where, like, it's the '80s, and so like tabloid journalism is taking foot. And we generally, and prior to Gary Hart, um, the press didn't really care about the affairs of politicians. Like, they didn't care about JFK or LBJ, and you know, and so like at this turning point where you have the rise of cable news and you have the rise of tabloid news gary hart is you know um at this point where like they're starting to question his conduct and now i think in a previous time the answer is well you could be a shitty person and a good uh uh, uh and good at your job right uh but now in this post me too movement and i think the movie sort of addresses this where there's a scene at the washington post where there's the reporter who's sympathetic to her, towards gary hart and he's talking to one of his female colleagues and uh, who's skeptical of gary hart and he asks why you're so skeptical of him and he's like okay like how you treat women in your personal life kind of tells me what you view women like, you know, how can I trust you as president that you have the interests of women when you treat them like objects, you know?
2: It's an interesting, and it, that's an interesting conversation because the the, the, the reporter who is sympathetic to Gary Hart was a young, you know, black man, fictional character, uh, though.
0: I fictional that. character. Yeah. Well,
2: that's actually, that makes it even more interesting to me because I think that there is a choice to make that character a young black man, because I do believe that it sort of addresses, uh, the fact that this isn't unique to, like, white men. Uh, the Me Too movement, I think, has been plagued with, like, you know, like, white men, primarily white men, uh, right. being, you know, found out. And uh, I think it makes R. the Kelly point— that Kelly disagrees. R. Kelly disagrees. Uh, but, like, the, I think it does make the point that this is uh, universally male privilege and—
0: uh, Yeah, no, that's a good point I hadn't thought about. Because I and I and I mean I enjoyed watching that because that guy does slowly come to that realization that like look I especially because the movie is pretty smart about how it like shows how a PR team for a politician would treat different publications differently. He's like getting this special access because he's the Washington Post, and it's funny because like in sports like they are more separate now the press and the athletes, whereas like they're not going to be traveling on the same plane as them. But like today they they still would both be traveling on Air Force One or something like that, and. Maybe even a little more common to have even a little more access on a campaign as opposed to when someone is the president. But he's, like, getting this access and really not doing as much with it as, like, he probably could be. And he realizes that at the end, and he's the one that asks the tough questions. And like I said, it's a fictional fictional character, but it is an interesting choice that the movie makes to show that. And I I like the terms you put it in right there because while, yeah – At the same time, he—if you presuppose that he's real—it must have taken a lot for a young black man to make it to that one of the top most prestigious jobs at the Washington Post in 1987. But at the same time, he's still being afforded some privilege, even while he probably had to face a lot of obstacles to get to that point in the first place. And he eventually kind of has to face that privilege eye to eye.
2: Yeah, and I think that like uh, earlier you had said that um, you know you had said that you know despite all this movie has to say about how you know the press the oppressive relationship with presidents and how we treat these sorts of scandals. Uh, despite all that, Donald Trump was in fact elected. And you pointed to that, I believe as like a sense that like the movie was a bit out of
0: touch. Not even um, out of touch. Cause I know that they, I mean, I don't know, I guess they conceived of it before Trump, got elected but more just like not as timely and maybe as we would have thought or just mm, I, I disagree mean, i disagree okay.
2: fully uh because i think that this movie takes place at an interesting time where as uh, josh brown said um the, the the press was starting to become more tabloid right uh cable news was starting up the 24-hour news cycle we started to treat politics as a circus at the same time like you know in the past uh, newspapers would not cover the sort of, you know, personal lives and infidelities of these politicians. Meanwhile, back in the time, back in the era of like JFK and such, where like we would have norm, like newspapers wouldn't have covered it, I think were the, would that scandal have come out publicly, it would have been ruinous, um, as that's, this scandal was ruinous to Gary Hart. But now we live in an era where our president, you know, can, you know, uh, you know, can Philander, can, you know, have out there that he, you know, was cheating on his wife with a porn star, you know, while she was taking care of his kids. Or and, saying
1: on um, audio tape, uh, grab him by the pussy.
2: And he can still be elected. I think that it points to—it's an interesting uh, 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 way to approach that fundamental irony of And also,
1: situation. like, crazily enough, like, the week that, like, this movie came out, it was reported, like, I think it was on Slate— that so lee atwater so like right back it up so like we're right now in the morning of president george hw bush right and so um if it wasn't for gary hart like most people believe that if it was gary hart instead of michael dukakis versus uh george w george hw bush gary hart would have won and george hw bush wouldn't have wouldn't have been president and But like George H.W. Bush's uh, uh, campaign aide during the 88 election, Lee Atwater, who masterminded the Willie Horton ad, it came out during uh, the week of this movie that he also was the person who set Gary Hart up um, at the uh, Donna Rice, the boat that uh, called Monkey Business that he met Donna Rice. Like it was like he paid people off. He knew about Gary Hart's like womanizing and like he like there's the photo is not in the movie but there's this famous photo The photo
0: actually came out later like at, 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 that that was true like it didn't come out till after he dropped out basically and but people think about it that way like that was the thing that brought him down
1: yeah and there's photo of him and uh donna rice like donna rice sitting on his lap uh, on the boat and it's not in the movie but um but yeah, like I think he like like paid like the photographer to do it. So there was like a whole trap that he had set up for Gary Hart and like Lee Atwater. Like he died in the early '90s, um, but he told uh, Gary Hart's like campaign manager before he did he before he died because he was like repenting for all the bad things he did. And I think Gary Hart's campaign campaign manager finally died this year, and he like finally admitted like yeah lee at lee atwater told us that like he set up gary hart on that boat so it's kind of crazy that like you know this movie comes out the same year that george h.w bush dies and like you know his gary hart's like stories you know like his fall is kind of
2: uh uh orchestrated uh, on on behalf of
0: yeah. yeah speaking of speaking of um the campaign manager who in this movie is played by jk simmons a frequent jason reitman collaborator i that was the last thing i wanted to ask you guys because i have a i have an appointment to go see uh, a star is born in imax which i'm very excited about but i only have a few more minutes because of that but one of the things i couldn't end our discussion on this without talking about that was was this cast um mm-hmm. it's funny you mentioned the post earlier there obviously are some parallels and that they've come out in consecutive years and they are movies that are about a combination of politics and journalism and all that. The one thing it did was it like it both movies kind of like saved a lot of money by casting a bunch of T V actors in a lot of the supporting roles, which is kind of fun for me because it was a lot of people I had seen before. Uh did you have any thoughts on any particular supporting characters that you really enjoyed in this movie or any of the performances? Because a lot of people pop up.
1: Yeah, like I, I really like Steve's is I can't pronounce his yeah, last. Steve's name.
0: is this from uh Togetherness.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I first saw him. I always enjoyed him, and he plays the Miami Herald reporter. There's Bill Burr, uh, uh, who plays the sleazy sports, which feels like, yeah, that is a Bill Burr
0: role. That is a Um, Bill Burr role. And and Mike Judge playing the editor.
1: Yeah, and Molly Ephraim, I think, is the reporter— not the reporter, the um, campaign aide. Yeah, she's really good. I don't know if i would seen him before. Yeah, she left, like, the biggest impression on me. And I think, like, Jason Reitman, along with, like, Noah Baumbach, and I think J.J. Abrams, like, I think those three directors have, like, really good casting directors. Like, uh, J- like uh, Jason Reitman, like, when you think of, like, his filmography, like, he discovered Anna Kendrick, you know, like... Um, vera Farmingas, like one of her big roles was up in up in the air um and like he always finds these interesting roles for like his actors to, like these you know great character actors to play in like Patton did, oswald and young adult you know did
0: either of and, you guys ever uh watch uh the movie patty cakes that came out last year
1: i did I, not i heard so, about it
0: so the, the guy that plays the the black reporter for the washington post is actually like plays like a a rapper that's kind of like like a social outcast in that movie and it's like really good and i, I, I did not make the connection to like i looked on imdb after this movie but like I, I really enjoyed him and but like it it also i don't know if either of you, i don't think either of you ever watched the show halt and catch fire which no one watched on I, AMC. I, I did, I
1: did i did watch some i think i watched half or most of like the first season oh my god it gets That's so much
0: better after season one if you ever feel like going back and watching something but it has like uh it has, like, that, that Molly Ephraim person, I guess she had, like, five episodes in it, but the guy that played, like, one of the, the guy that owned the monkey business boat is played by an actor named Toby Huss, uh, who I guess that guy was supposed to be a lobbyist or something. Uh, he was in *Halt and Catch Fire, and so is one of the, just one of the body men for Hart, a guy named, an actor named Mark O'Brien, who's also been in, like, Arrival and a couple other things, and then his press secretary, who was played by Chris Coy, who was on The Deuce, who plays the, the gay bartender on The Deuce, that... Uh, works closely with James Franco and opens up some bars. So uh, I don't know. It was just that was like really fun for me, like just watching all these like other people that I know pop up get a chance to be in a movie like this. Wrightman's uh, an executive producer on Casual on Hulu. I don't know if you've ever watched that, but yeah, uh, I uh, that so, so the guy, one of the de- the deputy campaign managers, played by Tommy Dewey, he plays Alex on Casual, and I really like that performance. So yeah, I, and there's a the cast.
2: Nothing, nobody, nobody ever rises above like you know to an Academy recognition for me but it just helps uh, to have competent
0: people like up and down the road. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: it's great stuff this guy i just want to make the point though that jason reitman t- for me has had a fire year because between this and Tully, i think he's made two of the best movies of the year
0: yeah i don't think i had no i, I no, i really like tolly too I, I i i still like never really reconciled how i felt about the, like the last 10-15 <laughs> minutes of Tully, but it still like bothered me that like it didn't get like more attention and for just how undisputably great the rest of that movie is mm. yeah no, no
2: oh, like, yeah uh, i hate i hate but, the last 10 minutes i really yeah. hate the last 10 minutes is what kept it from being a perfect movie for me
1: see me i'm cool with the last 10 minutes but also we need to talk about like how charlie Theron should probably be in the best actress conversation She got a golden Globe
0: nomination last week she, she did? did yeah i think so oh i didn't know all right all I'm right, right. I, 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 don't, I don't know if she's in the oscar mix but like she, she did get a golden globe nomination last week for yeah
1: Cause that's like a perfect, like totally. I think that's a movie I need to rewatch again. I I really liked it when I saw it. But I need to rewatch it again because Definitely. like now as a teacher, I think it, the idea of like kids like dra- draining the energy and life
2: out of you like will hold new resonance for me. And also,
0: just knowing what you know about the ending, like it's interesting to see how all that stuff plays differently.
2: Mm-hmm. I honestly think that it would play the same. That's one of the problems with the ending for me. That uh-huh. if you didn't have the ending, it still makes all the same points with the same amount of resonance.
1: Gotcha. But yeah, like, I hope the like, Jason Reitman has like, cause like, I think both Tolly and this film were flops and, you know, at least Tolly I think was more better regarded critically, yeah. but I kind of am hoping that like Jason Reitman, like sort of has like another like a uh, commercial and uh critical hit like Juno or, or up in the air. And per- perhaps maybe you should just give Jason Reitman like a studio comedy or something. And he probably would hit it out of the park. Yeah
0: i don't know he, he I, it's just it's just cool to have like someone that makes those kind of movies that are just o- on a smaller scale and you, I, I i don't know i hope someone keeps bankrolling him because it seems mm. like i mean he really did have a rough few years th- there before this year and uh since ever since young adult so it'd be nice to have him kind of just like be able to get back on the straight and narrow and just keep finding people to make movies for and uh yeah, because, like, I, I, I guess I, I didn't come out of this movie quite as satisfied as you guys, but, like, I, I, as people can tell, like, I found a lot to like. Like, I mean, it's not hard to get me to get invested in something that touches on journalism at all. There's, like, even small things in this movie, like, the fact that, like, the first scene of the Miami Herald where, they, like, they mentioned, hey, politics, what did you got? He's like, oh, I just wrote 100 words after I got back from Colorado. Like, the idea that a newspaper would fly anyone anywhere and only write 100 words, like, it gets a lot right about the newspaper industry as to how it's changed in the last 20 years, even while some of the stuff in this movie is the very beginning of some certain things that are still uh practices or trends that are still bearing out today you know like i i took a lot from this movie it's just i i I, like i like we talked about earlier my expectations might have just been a little out of line with where they should have been because i honestly didn't know much about gary hart so i probably shouldn't have just had this projection of what hugh jackman would be like um and yeah
1: there's like and like for political junkies there's a lot of like little easter eggs in there like the one of the staff members is like joe trippy or whatever who's like a who later goes on to work for like the clinton campaign there's also a character that's a young david david axelrod and so there's a lot of like uh um you know like for me like oh yeah yeah like i i know about this election pretty well uh because i read a lot about it and so like i like I like those little tidbits about like these characters in the background. I think even like Bob Woodward is sitting in it on the meeting in the Washington post. uh, Um, when we first, uh, are introduced uh, to the characters there. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah. Um, any, any other last thoughts on this one though, guys, before we go? Um, I think we, we're in agreement. We, we, you guys liked a little more than I did, but we all, we all want good things for Jason Reitman. So, um, Uh, but, 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 get him
2: to do, get, this man to do the next, you know, white guy, black guy, buddy comedy. If
0: if, if it's oh, no, and you're gonna so that, get him, that's high praise. He is Daniel's number one choice for a white man to do a movie about race relations. No, yes. I, I'm, I'm
1: not. I'm not looking for the Jason Reitman take on the Nat King Cole story. Um, <laughs> uh, like I saw Casual. Casual is a pretty white show. Oh, uh, super white. Yes, yeah, super white. Um, no, like. I, I like Jason Reitman. I like Nancy Myers. You know what? Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Stay you
2: know? in your lane. I mean, I, will, I won't be too mad about that. Either. <laughs> you know,
1: just you know, give role like okay, you made a character black in this movie and, and it worked out good.
2: Good. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. Well, um, before we get out of here, guys, uh, anything you want to plug, whether it be Letterbox or something else, Josh
1: letterbox uh, i think it's at jkb1626 um and then on twitter at joshua brown 95 because i was really original
2: yep daniel i don't have a tw- i have a twitter but i don't use it so follow me on letterbox com slash felonious funk yeah. that's with
0: two f's i'll still tag you on twitter anyway for you to not retweet it because you don't go on twitter um yeah. and mine um as usual i'm Josh J O S H, J U R N O V O Y, and uh, Twitter, uh, same thing, just one word as opposed to two words for Letterbox. So at the, as, as, stay tuned for really coming gosh, up. Coming gosh, up. Gosh. What?
1: Can I plug one more thing, though? I, Go I, for I, it. Uh, Welcome to Marwin. It comes oh out God. December 21st. <laughs> Everybody, be there. Take your whole family. Uh, um, I believe I'm still booked for that podcast. If you want to do a double bill of Welcome to Marwin and the meal, I'm your mule guy. I'm your Marwin guy. <laughs> let's oh let's fly to marwin
0: yeah so everyone can go see that movie amongst the slightly less important stuff that's coming out like if beale street could talk and vice and those kind of <laughs> things roma. Welcome and, to roma, yeah that too but but yeah so and as for the podcast next week we'll have podcasts on uh, uh on roma and uh The favorite and burning, and uh, maybe another special holiday movie. One that's not going to be a new movie, but I don't want to reveal that yet because it might not happen. But stay tuned for all that, and we'll see you next time.